The reading is Exodus chapter 22, verses 1 to 15. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, he is guilty of bloodshed. A thief must certainly make restitution, but if he has nothing, he must be sold to pay for his theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in his possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, he must pay back double. If a man grazes his stock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray, and they graze in another man's field, he must make restitution from the best of his own field or vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. If a man gives his neighbour silver or goods for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbour's house, the thief, if he is caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges to determine whether he has laid his hands on the other man's property. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment or any other lost property other about which somebody says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judge declares guilty must pay back double to his neighbour. If a man gives a donkey, an ox or sheep or any other animal to his neighbour or for safekeeping and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbour did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this and no restitution is required. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbour, he must make restitution to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, he shall bring in the remains as evidence and he will not be required to pay for the torn animal. If a man borrows an animal from his neighbour and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, he must make restitution. But if the owner is with the animal, the owner, the borrower, will not have to pay. If the animal was hired, the money paid for the hire covers the loss. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome to all those who are joining this stream. My name is Joshua. I'm the Assistant Minister at St. Tom's and it is my joy to be able to reflect on God's Word with you today, Exodus chapter 22. To grapple with all the laws that we have in today's reading, we must imagine an enormously different world. Now that can seem hard, so let's do a bit of a warm-up exercise together. I want you to ask yourself, what on earth happened to make this sign necessary? And what about this one? And what happened to make this sign necessary? And perhaps strangest, although most obvious of all, what on earth happened here? Well, we've been journeying through a rather complicated part of the Bible now for about four weeks. From Exodus 19 through to 23, we're in something called the Book of the Covenant. It's the words that give meaning and shape to what kind of relationship God wants to have with his people. 
And all this happens in a world that is really, really different from our own. So different that we really have to stretch our imaginations to picture what was happening and what kind of world this could be. It's a very different world. It's a world without electricity. It's a world without democracy. It's a world without science as we know it now. It's a world without the Charter of Human Rights and a world without Oprah. But for Christians, the added challenge is that it's before Jesus. So what on earth, we might ask, can this have to do with us? Because it's such a different world, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at a few ways that we can learn to read and appreciate and apply this law as Christians even. In Exodus 19, we looked at considering this whole law as an agreement that defined the relationship, the relationship that God wanted to have with his people. They were a particular people, and so they had to live in a particular way to show what life under God's rule looked like to the watching world. From Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments particularly, we learned that those Ten Commandments are really the guiding principles that are applied in the rest of the law. And for Christians, we focus on the fact that they are really about loving God as he is and loving our neighbour. Denise's excellent sermon last week on Exodus chapter 21 uh, detailed to us that the, the strangeness of those laws and their almost confronting demands are God making the best for his people in the world's bad situation, accommodating to them what God had to say. God works in the context of a fallen world, the world as it really is, in order to help us. So all of that sets us up to read this passage. So we know that we won't be applying them in direct equivalence because we're not under the old covenant. We're not trying to force them to fit our situation today. If we did that, we might try to substitute car for donkey, and then we might start a Christian insurance company whose policy documents were largely quotations of Exodus 22, but we're not gonna do that because we aren't under that covenant. We also know that uh, focusing on what this says about loving our neighbor and loving God is gonna help us. And we also know that these commands are accommodated to Israel's historical and moral life. So some of it may really have ceased to be relevant. But enough about what it isn't saying, what is it saying? What is it that it can or will say to us? Well, let's see. The passage starts with the words, when someone steals. Now the Ten Commandments have already spoken to this, right? You shall not steal. But the law helps Israel to live in a world where people don't follow the law. So when someone steals, and there's a way to deal with that. But what is it? I mean, it could go on to say anything. It could say, cut off the hand of the offender. It could say, put to death the thief. It could say, exile the one who steals. And other comparable law codes in the ancient Near East did go in that direction a little bit. But that's not what happens here. Instead, this whole passage is filled with laws of restitution. These are rules which help people to recognize the wrongs done, deal with the wrong, and continue on in life together. Remember that this is the law given to the people after they've left Egypt. This is literally a stateless people without constitution, but not without a God. And God puts this people together to become a nation. And he tells them what he wants for their common life. 
Here we see that God's that God wants people to overcome the wrongs that plague them together, to recognize wrong, to deal with the wrong and continue in life together. By following this law, the people can come to some sense of order in their land, even when people break the commandments. In Israel's common life, they can deal with and overcome the effects of sin upon them. In verses two to three, on bringing harm uh, to one breaking and entering, it helps Israel to define when people are guilty of one crime or another and what the limits of those are. To kill a thief in plain daylight has no excuse. It would be excessive and vengeful. But at night and in a world where you can't easily flick on the light, well, it's a different story. In Israel's common life, they are to place responsibility fairly. In verses five to six, it helps Israel to understand the culpability of negligence. In Israel's common life, they are to have a concern for their neighbor and take responsibility for their actions and respect the work and land of one another and to make restitution when accidents happen. And in verses seven to 15, these laws help Israel deal with the inevitable disputes of life. When there is disagreement, misunderstanding, and irresolvable arguments, their common life under God pushes them in the direction of making peace. Disputes cannot be allowed to fester, to go on, to pass down from one generation to another until no one remembers why they hate each other anymore. Disputes must be resolvable, must be resolved. In Israel's common life, they are not to let anything stand in the way of them being at peace. Now, the one goal of all those things there is peace. God gives these laws to Israel so they can be his people in his place and under his rule. Now, anyone from our youth group can tell you about why that's important. But God's gifts to them, the land, the goods that they have, their fields and their friendships are not to be ruined or threatened by the sins that people do the accidents and mistakes that people make, or the disputes that arise. Nothing is allowed to threaten their living together in peace. What God wants for this people is their dwelling together in harmony, a shared life of deep harmony and joy. And the Old Testament has a word for this, it's shalom. It translates as peace, and it is the most abundant and rich sense of that word. The peace that leaves us without worry or fear and with the presence of joy and mutual understanding and an embraced clarity of goodness. This is what God wants for his people. And this part of the law tells them that a great threat to Shalom, to their enjoying peace under God's rule, are the sins that are not dealt with, accidents that are not dealt with and disputes that are not dealt with. Sins, accidents, disputes, they all threaten this sense of in- Sins, accidents, disputes, they all threaten this sense of living under God's rule in joy and peace. So for you and I, the law for you and me. So for us, the law offers us this wisdom that if we are to be God's people, enjoying the presence of peace that he gives, then we must work for healthy relationships 
with each other. The world around us is very clearly not getting this. Every day, the disputes of our world seem to become more and more irresolvable. And so the church has a chance to model the process of overcoming genuine hurt and dealing with genuine disagreement. Let's take two moments from the New Testament, which might help us. In Luke chapter 19, there's a man named Zacchaeus. He has defrauded, in his own words, many. When Jesus comes, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, so he climbs a tree to get a look, and Jesus invites himself for dinner at Zacchaeus' house. Now, this is a significant extension of the offer of friendship in their world. Zacchaeus responds to Jesus with these words. Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Zacchaeus repents. He turns away from his life of extortion and proves his repentance by not only restoring what he has stolen, but offering restitution in the form of paying more than was originally taken. Zacchaeus can now live in harmony with the neighbours he has wronged. Zacchaeus goes beyond the letter of the law to do what it signifies, doing whatever you can to restore the relationships themselves. His relationship with Jesus is not the only one that matters. He can see that his relationship to Jesus makes him address his relationship to everyone else. In principle, this means wrestling through the wrongs putting on the table exactly what has happened and each party offering themselves in love to the other to overcome the damage. Each striving to give what they can to address the situation. Each offering in love the extended hand of reconciliation. That means forgiving and turning the other cheek whenever we can because we want reconciliation with the one that's hurt us. And it means offering what restitution we can to the one that we ourselves have hurt. Both because we want what God offers, a life of shared harmony and joy. The New Testament also offers us this. I talk about this verse a lot in pastoral ministry. Um, you might have heard me say this. In Ephesians 4.28 we read, Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labour and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with those in need. There is the clearest expression of repentance that you can find in the Bible. Stealing is to stop, and in its place, honest work is to be taken up. And in place of taking what isn't yours, one is to give what is theirs. There could be no greater reversal. And this isn't because forgiveness must be earned, it's because we strive for harmony with one another as the people of God. Exodus says that God's people must learn to live with sinners, with accidents and with disputes as realities, but they must overcome them. The New Testament teaches us that we must do whatever we can to be in harmony with each other. And we have far greater reason to forgive. We are saved by the one who taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Our reason for reconciliation is not only that we can live together in, a, in great richness and great togetherness, but that we proclaim the good news of the gospel as available and as present by embodying among us 
a taste of the peace we now have with God through Jesus. In response to Jesus, you can do nothing else but as Paul encourages, this is Romans 12, 18, as long as it depends on you, do what makes for peace. Those who have been wronged, forgive and strive to work it through with extended hands of mercy and longing for reconciliation. And those who have done wrong, admit it and seek out a restored relationship with the one you've hurt. As long as it depends on you, do what makes for peace. Let me finish this by reading from Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 25 to chapter 5 verse 2. So then putting away falsehood, let us speak the truth to our neighbours, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labour and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you, you are marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God, beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Sometimes go well in the endeavor to live in harmony with one another and to tell the gospel by seeking restored relationships wherever and whenever we can. Amen.